Thank you for joining us today in worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. As you know, we've been in a, a really, really lengthy series, The Life of Joseph, and blessed that it has been inspiring to me. I know it has been to you, God's work in his life. Just a couple of quick words. First of all, thank you for supporting our parking lot ministry out there as we have worship on Sundays. I know some of you watch this later and also come to the service, and some are just able to watch from home. Whichever way or both, we're blessed that you can do that. Just want to let you know that wonderful ministries, once again, I repeat it's weekly because it's important. Wonderful ministries are taking place right here. Our handyman crew is continuing to build ramps. They're touching people's lives. Some are members, some are just out in the community where they go in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm always touched to hear certain needs that arise in, in our life journey groups where the classes step to the plate and help take care of this church family. What a great, great, great thing. Thank you. Blessed. Look forward once again to getting into this word tonight. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 45. Stay with me as we go through this journey. And when you think about what we're talking about today in the life of Joseph, the whole motif for today is the miraculous hand of God. Let's pick up in verse 1 of chapter 45. The word of God says, Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. Powerful thing. And you begin to think about what's taking place. Joseph's brothers had been brought to a very, very bitter sense of their sin. Remember, they've had a lot of time now. This is two years after the famine had started, according to the word of God. And they had the 20 years before that. Lots of time had passed. And of course, having to leave one of their brothers there in Egypt and go back and tell Jacob what had happened. They've had lots of time. They're brought to a bitter sense of their sin. And Joseph's brothers were in a penitent state. I think you're going to see some parallels, perhaps for your own life or in the life of others, of what takes place here. God lets us go through a process to where we are brought to this bitter sense of our sin. That's when we're many times coming to the place where we can be in a penitent state and prepared, as you see in this outline, for forgiveness and blessing. But first we have to come to that place and sometimes because of the stubbornness of the human heart, God allows us to continue to go through something until we get to that place. In this case, 22 years. And these brothers are finally brought to this place where they're prepared for forgiveness and blessing. They can't even imagine the blessing that's going to come. And we can't even imagine what they may have been initially thinking when Joseph reveals himself. But we're prepared for the grace of Christ by the sorrow and discipline of repentance. If you're listening and watching today, you've come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it is because you have repented. Repentance is recognizing who God is and recognizing who we are. We are sinners, less perfect than God. We are people that could never earn our way to heaven. When we come to the cross of Christ, We thank him that he took our penalty for our sin to the cross. The wages of sin is death, 
But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Not through a system, not through religion, not through some type of cult, not through self kind of work, but through the Lord Jesus Christ. He did it. And so we find that Christ, we come to him, we repent of our sins. That is, we make an about face where we're living for ourselves or to our own standard or learning to try and work our way to heaven. We understand and know that we can't work our way to heaven. Christ did our work on the cross. He bled and died, suffered our death on the cross, rose three days later, and offers eternal life as a gift. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we see this process that plays out in the Old Testament, the New Testament, because God has not changed and people have not changed. The same thing happens. Now, I want you to see in Luke 5, 5 through 8, how this plays out in the New Testament also, where someone is brought to this point of sorrow and to bitterness. It says in Luke 5, 5 through 8, Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that the nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled their boat so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. There's some powerful, powerful parallels that come in the life of Peter, in the life of all people, when we look and we see. God will not prolong our trial further than we need for it to be prolonged. But he can prolong it. And it's very, very good to learn the lesson up front. But in the course of human history, we find some people are faster learners than others. And so we see after our trials when we have fished all night and caught nothing and come to the end of ourselves, which Peter did, God's ready to reveal his mercy. You see, we don't find Christ on our own terms and through our own successes. We find Christ when we come to the end of ourselves. We come to repentance when we come to the end of ourselves. That's why we see Peter. He knew better. They'd fished all night. And no doubt in his mind thinking, Jesus, you're not a fisherman. We fished this lake our whole lives. We were born on the lake. We know the lake. We're professional at this, and we haven't caught anything. And you're saying, put down the nets. Yeah, right. And Peter gets humbled. And the humbling process, just like with those brothers that came to Joseph to find out that he's going to reveal himself, they're standing there. Uh, Joseph has all the attendants excused. They're standing there with the brother that they were going to kill. They had to be talked into even sparing his life. They're standing there alone with someone with the snap of his finger that could have their life. After our trials, after we've been through all of the heartache with that and come to the end of ourselves, then we're ready to receive God's mercy and care. So what does Peter recognize at that point? Lord, go away from me. I'm a sinner. You don't know what I was thinking, Lord. Oh, wait a minute. Yes, you did. I never thought this would happen. 
I never thought we could catch fish, but we did. And you brought me to the end of myself. I'm ready to give this up because you've shown me no matter what vocation I choose or what I do, if you chose to feed me and take care of me and put fish in my net, you can do it. But I'm not worthy of that, God. You see, there's true humility. When we get broken like that, it's a wonderful thing. Sometimes we come to the end of ourselves. It's just at that right time. And many times it's at the most bitter time in our lives. It's at the worst moment when we find God in the midst of that. I remember walking one night, I've shared this before, with a catheter having been through surgery and just feeling ugly, feeling gross, 3.30 in the morning, dark out, walking in a dark house, just walking around, not feeling good at all, and just thinking, I don't really like the earth today. (laughs) And just talking to God. And I felt, I felt Jesus just pick me up at that point. It was a supernatural kind of thing. I felt the power of God just lift me up at that point. And it was revived in my spirit. It's just God's tender touch. But many times that tender touch comes at those worst moments, those hardest moments, those difficult moments. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you've suffered some things. Some with your children, some yourselves. And it's difficult, isn't it? You know what I'm talking about. God does at the right time. He doesn't prolong our trials further than is necessary. But because he loves us and because we're eternal beings, not temporal beings, he works with us even in our hard-headedness and stubbornness, just like with those brothers. Well, as we look in Genesis 45, 2, we see something about the character of Joseph that comes through through the whole book. Remember this as we look at these verses, the miraculous hand of God. It says, and he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. So he excuses the attendants. Joseph is bawling, he's weeping, it's uncontrollable, so loud. It's going on out all over, and they can hear it. He wept. He wept. Eyes are the windows of the soul. Do you know, we see Jesus in the shortest verse of the Bible. It says that he wept at the grave of Lazarus, aware of all the horror sin has made. Many times when we see Jesus weeping at that grave, there's lots of reasons, of course. He hurt for the families. He hurt for all the sorrow. He loved Lazarus himself, just like we have relationships and love people. But when you bottom line it, when you take the biggest common denominator, why is Jesus weeping in in John 11, 35? He's weeping because of the horrors of sin. Jesus had walked the earth enough at this time to see what the horrors of sin had done. It perverted religion. It perverted people. It hurt people. It caused murder. It caused robbery. It caused discontent. It caused depression. It caused grief. All as a result of sin. And Jesus just weeps to see the sight of a body that's in a tomb. Who wants to be in a tomb lying on a stone? being wrapped in clothes and spices, dead. 
Who wants to see that? It's the result of sin. When sin entered the world in the book of Genesis, death entered the world, disease entered the world, and all the horrors we see around us entered the world. That's why when you read Revelation 21, heaven's going to be great, isn't it? There's no more sin, no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more weeping, no more mourning. Sin brought death, decay, grief, and pain. And Jesus wept. And Joseph saw a lot of the hurt that came, the grief, the hurt, the pain. To him, to his father, and to his own brothers that had suffered the guilt of that. And Joseph is weeping uncontrollably with every kind of emotion flooding through him, I'm sure. Weeping for what happened in this sin, but also for his brothers and what happened to them. There's a whole lot to be said for that, isn't there? That the emotion just overtook him and he's able to minister in this place. Now, when we look at verse 3 of Genesis 45, there's some great things that we can draw from this passage. The miraculous hand of God. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Imagine that. You don't have to have too great an imagination to imagine they were terrified. Of course they were. His brothers were not able to answer him. This is not the first time in Scripture where we see that someone is brought to revelation that is so powerful that they are left speechless. You see, the brothers had no problem speaking up when it was time to kill him, did they? They had no problem speaking up when it was time to get him thrown in the cistern, to sell him, to decide on how much money they'd sell him for, and to do it. But right now, they have to be thinking a whole world of things. They're speechless. I am Joseph. It's like Saul of Tarsus, Joseph's brothers received an extraordinary revelation. Let's go into this next passage and look at it. In Acts chapter 9, verses 5 through 7. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, who you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up. And go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard sound but did not see anyone. Hmm. They stood there speechless. Because when you're surrounded with something that totally takes you off guard, there is nothing to say. His brothers were able to answer But Jesus did give an answer. I'm the one that you've been persecuting. And Joseph could have easily said, I am Joseph, whom you have persecuted. But it's very interesting, the very words that fall after Joseph said, after he introduced himself, I am Joseph. So after these three words, what does Joseph address? Does he address the cistern? Does he say, you know, have you ever been left in a cistern to die or thought you were going to die? Have you ever been put up for sale when a caravan's coming of people you don't even know and have people bid on you and buy you? Have you ever gone along with a caravan knowing you're probably never going to come back or maybe not even live? 
Have you been through the hardships of being slandered, thrown into a prison? Joseph could have said a lot of things after he says, I am Joseph. And he could have nailed those brothers. But you see, God had been working on the hearts of those people. Sometimes we think people are getting away with something or they don't recognize it. God's busy working through the Holy Spirit in their lives. And in this case, he certainly was. And we see what Joseph does. No, Joseph says, is my father still living? The very next words out of his mouth, he asked that. What is that about? Is it just telling a story or is it telling us more than just the narrative? I believe it's telling us a whole lot more. You see, these brothers need some immediate comfort. And Joseph's going to give it to them. So what does Joseph do? Rather than say all about what happened to him, Joseph acknowledges their common father. Thus, he acknowledges them as brothers. And Joseph opens this door for his brothers to look at him without fear, yet not without shame. He opens the door for his brothers, asking about their father, our father, and gives them some insight. Joseph's not throwing this in our face. He's asking about our father. And it was kind of a blessing that he's given to his brothers. And once again, he does help them to look at him without fear, yet not without shame, because those brothers wouldn't do that to Joseph. That's not what they did to him. But the word of God says, do not repay evil for evil. And Joseph here comes back to some incredible, incredible biblical truth in his life. You see, fear, hope, guilt, grief, joy, wonder struck those brothers all at once. I'm sure they didn't know what to think. Are you kidding? He sent everyone else out of the room, and now we're alone with him. He is a ruler in the most powerful place as far as we know on the face of the earth. And he can have our lives, or worse yet, torture us. But his brothers weren't able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. There's some redemptive good that can come out of being terrified at different times in life. None of us like that feeling. If you've lived long enough, you may have experienced it at the hands of a pop quiz if you're a student or a big CPA test if you're trying to accomplish a certain goal with that. You may have experienced it through a person telling you you have cancer or you've lost your job or someone you love has been involved in a very serious accident. And it is terrifying, isn't it? Isn't it? It's terrifying. But you see, at that point, there is a point that when we are there that we have to make some decisions. And for these brothers... Their sense of sin made them dread the presence of their brother. And for us, the sense of sin can make us dread the presence of God. When I've talked to people over the years about dying, and some people that were literally in that dying state, lying on a bed, speaking some of their last words to their pastor, Sometimes in the moments of transparency, they talk about some fears, some regrets. It's because of sin. 
some of the things we can still hold and take with us, wondering if God's taking care of that. There is a fear of standing before the holy, righteous God, the God that loved us, and to say, God, I, I just blew it so many times. Aren't you glad for God's mercy? Aren't you glad for God's mercy? That sense of sin can make us dread his presence. And sometimes when we are carrying some sin in our life, we will run from the presence of God. We neglect reading in his word. We neglect praying to him transparently. We think we've surrendered our lives. But you see, it's more than just surrendering a life. You see, surrendering our life can come out of our mouth and say, I surrender my life to God. God wants us to surrender our vulnerability to talk to him transparently, to be transparent in the body so that we can be a true family. You see, true family doesn't hide from other people. It joins the journey. You know how you can tell a true friend? You can tell a true friend anything and he'll still be your friend. You can tell the man, I suffer with this. My my marriage is hurting. My kids are a disappointment. I'm frustrated at work. You can tell them some things that you can't say to other people because you're true friends. When you practice vulnerability, we'll be there for you. Joseph was a true friend to his brothers. His brothers weren't a true friend to him. But he's given them another opportunity. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, we see something. It says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord, the Lord God, as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Now we all know that the omnipotent, magnificent God, the miraculous hand of God knew where they were. The question was rhetorical in the sense not to come back to God and say, where are you so I can find you? God wasn't playing hide and seek with them, but Adam and Eve were playing hide and seek with God. Where are you? What happened? Confess it. Tell me. Be vulnerable. And they go right into excuses. That still lives within humanity, doesn't it? They go right into excuses. It's amazing. We see what happens. Where are you? It's a question we all have to ask ourselves. Where are we with God? Have we been transparent with him? You see, the trans God already knows anyway. But when we're vulnerable in our prayers to him, He helps us along the way because he sees us not cheating at solitaire. He sees when we're vulnerable, we've come to the end of ourselves. God, we respect you enough to tell you the truth about our human experience, our failures, our joys, our griefs, our hurts. Joseph's at a point with his brothers that could have gone a lot of different ways. When you play it out and you put yourself in Joseph's place, what would you have done? Revealing yourself to those men that did such an awful thing. You know, I'm sure people played out scenarios. I should tell you what I would have done. I t- and, and you can think of every kind of negative and painful scenario. But Joseph had seen enough hurt and pain, didn't want to dispel any more on his family. And God had worked in the lives of his brothers and in the life of Joseph because Joseph has to know This is a supernatural thing that's happened. His brothers are there alone with him in a room because of the miraculous hand of God. It's the only way to explain this thing. 
comfort that comes from the gospel is the only healing for our afflicted souls. When you bottom line it, everybody listening, whether they're going to be in a parking lot on Sunday, if God allows us to be there another time and have life, or you're watching this on a Sunday morning or Saturday night, whatever. Bottom line is we're leaving this place. And if all you have is pieces of this temporal place, you don't have anything. The comfort that the gospel brings is the only healing for our afflicted souls. Jesus wept at this funeral for Lazarus because of the sinfulness of the world. And the world's affected with it. It's the worst virus there is. It's the sin virus. Affected that. And our afflicted souls, we need the gospel. The gospel, just the word gospel in Greek, combination of a couple of words, it means the good news. Aren't you glad you have the good news? Aren't you glad the grace of God was pervasive in the life of Joseph? This story could have ended very differently. But the grace of God is there. You see in Galatians 4, 7, 4, 4 through 7, the word of God says, but when time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Wow. If there's sometimes in this world, there's not much comfort. But that ought to comfort every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're sons. We're adopted into God's family. We're heirs of righteousness. What a great thing. In a world that is hurting for some kind of answers, aren't you glad ultimately where we end up, where we go, what we have is our salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're heirs. God made us his children. And he gives us this term of endearment so we can begin to understand that he loves us. He wants to take care of us. And as Jesus said, he's prepared a place for us where some of the things of this earth are not going to exist like we have here. I, I think oftentimes in our thoughts about heaven, we think about seeing loved ones and seeing Jesus. And there's so many, and they're all true, they're wonderful things. But isn't it great there's no more sin in heaven or no more propensity towards sin, no more sin, period? That you don't have to deal with any decision, any battle, anything else. It's over. There is no sin. That's why there's no weeping in heaven. There's joy in heaven. God has made you also an heir. And you see, because God owns everything and he's unlimited, we're heirs to everything. It's unbelievable. Starting with salvation and everything else that comes after that. The miraculous hand of God. So where does Joseph go? The word of God says in verses 4 and 5 of Genesis 45, Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for setting me here. 
because I, it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Isn't it just like Joseph to see the redemptive end of this whole thing? Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here. God does some incredible things even when we're sinning. You see, God took something that was sinful and turned it into something miraculous, didn't he? The miraculous hand of God. And do not be angry with yourself. Joseph encourages brothers, first and foremost, to forgive themselves. Because I imagine the shame they're feeling now, the wrongness of their decision to see how, particularly in that Old Testament economy, how they had been been punished suffering under a famine, and their brother not only was eating well every day, he was a ruler, a world ruler, with a palatial kingdom and all the trappings that come with it. And they had to reflect. The man we're standing before is a man of dignity and integrity. And we sold our brother. We sold out to our own flesh and blood. How awful that must have felt. But Joseph says, Don't be angry with yourselves. Dear friend, you know who the hardest person in the world is to forgive? Perhaps. I I think it's rated right up there. It's you. It's me. It's hard to forgive ourselves at times, isn't it? We can find all the reasons to not forgive ourselves for something. But God forgives us. And sometimes... In that process, we have to learn and just say, God, I'm just sorry. I repent of making my standard for myself higher than yours because you forgave me. You see, unforgiveness, even self-unforgiveness, is sinful. It's a sin to be there because we're not productive when we're in that state of unforgiveness. Can't go on. It's depressing. It's It's hurtful. It's frustrating. God wants us to be able to forgive ourselves now. We can forgive and we can learn, can't we? That's why Jesus says to the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, go and stop sinning. Don't keep hurting yourself. Because, Joseph says, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Please don't miss this significant point as we come to put a bow on this whole, this whole life of Joseph and what happened in his life. Don't miss this point about the miraculous hand of God. Joseph isn't making light of their sin. He's not saying, blow it off, it never did happen. He's not making light of what his brothers did. What is he doing? He's showing them something. He's showing them to look to the hand of God And all he had done. You see the words? Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. You thought you had thwarted the things of God. You had sinned. You'd done wrong. But God knew a famine was coming to the earth. And God can even take something as wrong as what his brothers did and turn it into something as miraculous as this. If you miss the miraculous hand of God in this whole episode of Joseph's life, I don't know what to say because God has a hand that can work through the most, the craziest circumstances, things we never thought possible, not to make light of the sin. The brothers did wrong, 
but to show them and to show me and to show you that even sometimes we can look at ourselves and beat ourselves up for something. No parent gets it done perfectly. No pastor gets it done perfectly. No disciple of Christ gets it done perfectly. But to look and see that the hand of God is still working through our imperfections, through our fallibility, and through our mistakes. It's still working. And it's not making light of sin or saying, just go ahead and do it anyway. It's saying God's miraculous hand can work in such a circuitous manner that we could never even imagine it. The miraculous hand of God points his brothers. I want you to see what God had done. Joseph couldn't have orchestrated it. His brothers couldn't, but God did. I want you to see this next thing. What do we get from that? As we put a bow on this whole thing, the cross is the highest example of how the God of heaven brings good out of evil. You see, God brought good out of the evil these brothers perpetrated on Joseph. Look through the whole story. The evil that was perpetrated on him by Potiphar's wife, the evil of being in the prison, all the different things, God brought good out of it because God has miraculous power, supernatural power, the miraculous hand of God. And one of the most captivating principles, when you look at this Beautiful, beautiful story. One of the most captivating principles from the life of Joseph is God's absolute control over all creatures and all events. You can throw all kinds of things at God, right? Think about through this entire episode, all the things that were thrown at God, but you can't thwart God. God can even take that evil. And what was more evil than the people who were nailing Jesus to the cross? They were doing it because they were doing it with evil intent. They were jealous of Jesus. They hated what he did in the temple, overturning temples, calling them hypocrites, and they were evil intent on removing him from the picture. Was there anything more evil than that on the part of the devil and all those people? Look at the good God brought from that. Who but the miraculous hand of God could have done such a thing? It's wonderful to see it. And it's captivating to think, and it's redemptive for us to think about because God is still working. His power is not diminished. The miraculous hand of God is still working today in the midst of this virus thing, in the midst of all the issues in our nation and the world. God is still working. The miraculous hand of God. Having said that, I want you to look at something. We need to remain humble people, though, having heard what I just said. The nature of sin is not diminished by the use that God makes of it. Let's not diminish sin. Let's try and get it right. Let's seek to get it right. Because God can still get it right when we mess up. But the nature of sin is not diminished because God can make something good out of it. It didn't make less wrong what the brothers did. That's not the point. The point is, look at the miraculous hand of God. In spite of what people do, in spite of that, Job 5.9 says, He performs wonders that cannot be fathomed, miracles that cannot be counted. In your home, in your hand right now, in your mind and heart, 
It's one of the greatest miracles ever. God has preserved his word from about 40 authors over 1,500 years that tie a star, a scarlet thread from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation. This particular Bible is 175 years old. I love it because it was used so well. I'm holding it together with a rubber band, and someone really uses their name is inside of it. But this is just as miraculous as it was that person 175 years ago as it is today, as it was thousands of years ago when it was written. It's the miraculous hand of God that's found throughout this whole book. And our God is the author of that, using all those different people to speak to us. God works in so many ways. He brings elderly people that have no ability to have children. He brings them children. He brings a nation to walk across a sea where there was water and now there's not water. He made a jar of flour and a, and a jar of oil not run out until the drought was through. He made a blind man healed from birth. He was blind from birth and was healed. He rescued three people from a fiery furnace. And he fed over 5,000 people five loaves and a couple of fish, and on and on and on. The miraculous hand of God is found throughout this book. And I pray as you've looked at the life of Joseph that God has richly blessed you, that you're giving redemptive encouragement to go forward in this world, even though there's some discouraging things happening around us. Our God is still working. Don't let the enemy have free rent in your head to discourage you, to keep you down and say, what's going to happen? Ultimately, I'll tell you what's going to happen. We'll breathe until we leave this place, then we're going to heaven. Meanwhile, Jesus said, you occupy. Stay busy until I come. And I pray you're staying busy to him. Remember, this virus and all this lockdown stuff and all the other things are over. The goal is to reemerge stronger, and I pray through the life of Joseph and God's miraculous hand in his life, that you're encouraged and blessed. God bless you.